This is the Teaching and Learning Podcast from the Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation at Lethbridge College in Southern Alberta, Canada. Located on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, it is the intent of our college community to honour the land from a place of connection and provide an avenue for us all to come together in a holistic way to share stories and learn from each other. Tune in, hit play, and get inspired as guests share their stories and ideas on the dynamic, ever-changing landscape of education, teaching, and learning. I am Donna McLaughlin, a learning experience designer in the Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation at Lethbridge College, and I am the host of the Teaching and Learning podcast. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Teaching and Learning podcast. Today's guest is Alan Lediot. We're recording this podcast in December, but we didn't invite Alan to be on this episode because he bears an uncanny resemblance to Santa Claus, although he does. And he also embodies the spirit of old St. Nick, but more on that later. Welcome, Alan. Well, thank you for that introduction. I appreciate that, Donna. I'm glad you could join us. I'm really excited to uh, learn more about you and your work. Um, I know that you are from Bruce Mines in Northern Ontario, and you have an honors BA uh, in psychology, cum laude, and a master's in social work. You are an instructor here at Lethbridge College for the past... I'm into my 14th year now. Oh, 14th year. Okay, yes. So um, you've been instructing here at the college for 14 years. And maybe we'll start back at the beginning, um, back in Bruce Mines. um, (laughs) And tell us a little bit about your experiences there that um, sort of shaped some of the work that you do now. Sure. Um, Yeah, it's a a little... uh, Little town in northern Ontario, it's where Lake Huron and Lake Superior meet. Um, it's an adorable town, great people. Uh, I joke that the population was 600 until I left, now it's 599 posted on the sign. It's actually just around 600 uh, people. It used to be, well, it was the first copper mining, um, copper, yeah, the first copper mine in North America, oh, wow. as far as I know. Um, and also some gold came out of there as well, but I never found any. <clears throat> I did try. Um, so growing up there, uh, my father was involved uh, within the community quite a bit, doing different things, volunteering, and he was a volunteer fireman, and then for many years he was a volunteer fire chief. And so growing up, you know, I, I watched him go to meetings, I went to some of the, uh, some of the practices of the, of the fire department, I got to ride in the fire truck, all that good stuff, but, you know, outside of the, the, the fun things about the fire truck as a child... I think uh, I inherently learned that um, that community is important, and that you you have a responsibility as part of a community to to participate, to contribute to it, you know, in in ways that you can. And so I think that's probably where my interest in volunteerism uh, started. And I've always tried to be uh, as active in volunteering as I can be, uh, without I guess without taking away from my family and other priorities. Yes, because it, it does it does take a time commitment with the volunteering. Can you talk about some of the volunteer experience that that you have had? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the the best volunteer experience I got was uh, back in Sault Ste. Marie, which is again is close to Bruce Mines. 
It's a larger city. And uh, there, while I was getting my BA in psychology, I, I volunteered for the Victim Crisis Assistance and Referral Services, or VICARS. And just like here, they work with the police department. They're just volunteers, and they'll go out on uh, some of the more... Um, uh, some of the cases that that uh, really that require some somebody to hang around and support individuals uh, after during and after the police have have done their business and so you know if people's homes were broken into or there was a sudden death um, uh, there was a lost child there were lots of things like that that um, that I got to go out on and I learned there not only did I enjoy volunteer work but um, I, I like crisis work, <laughs> and so it helped me make up my mind as to uh, my career path and going into social work. And then um, one of my first jobs out of social, out of my social work uh, uh, program was um, do, working in uh, children's mental health crisis. So that's um, that's really amazing because that kind of work is so beneficial to so many people. Then, but, but that's really serious kind of heavy volunteer work. Um, what, how did you sort of be able to, I guess, kind of deal with that, that type of work? Yeah. You know what? I, <laughs> that question comes to my mind sometimes too. And, um, just before I answer that, I'll, I'll let you know that I do uh, volunteer with the Red Cross, as some people know, and, and I'm on a specialized, uh, team that, uh, that we're developing within the Red Cross over the last couple of years called Safety and Wellbeing which is really a team of specialists that uh, help people during disasters, um, help them with their psychosocial needs, really. And so again, it's, it's working with the Red Cross is much like the crisis work that, that I used to do, same, similar skill set, I guess you could say. And uh, I guess that, you know, in my classes, I really encourage my students to focus on self-care to the point that like, oh, here, here Alan goes again talking about self-care. <laughs> but I recognize how important that is to look after yourself. The other thing that I recognize is that you need support. So my wife uh, supports me 120% when I do this kind of work. And uh, we have this we have this bit of a code that developed during my time with Vickers, and, and we still use it. You know, I'd, I'd come home after something pretty traumatic. Um, and that's, so now I've, I've helped people, but now I need help. <laughs> so I'd come home, and my code with my wife was, I've had a bad day. Uh, knowing that I couldn't disclose or, you know, break confidentiality, but she would know that bad day meant a really bad day. <laughs> yeah, probably so, on a different level than an... Yeah, in a lot of other situations. So she she would she would be just like, okay, what do you need, and and take care of me, and because she took care of me, I could take care of other people, and and really, you know, that that shows me how how interconnected and interdependent we are, and you want to have that kind of network of supports when you're doing this kind of work. That's really interesting, and and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's that's so important with what's going on in the world today and with mm. your students. So what led you from Bruce Mines <laughs> to Lethbridge, Alberta? Oh, that's a long story, but I'll try to give it to you in brief. Um, so after I got my master's degree, uh, I worked in child protection on the Native Services team out of London, Ontario uh, for a little while. And then uh, this opportunity became available to work with Children's Mental Health 
in London uh, with this new crisis team that they were developing, and we provide a crisis service um, in person and over the phone. And I don't, I haven't checked in with them, but they're probably doing it over Zoom now <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, so I, I got involved in that, and and I had, I really felt like I'd kind of done kind of done accomplished what I wanted to accomplish within my scope there and I, I know this is going to sound silly to some people but you know we, we, we were thinking about management opportunities for me and and really that just wasn't me I enjoy the frontline work um, I'm happy to let somebody else make the big decisions I'm happy to support my leaders <laughs> do anything that they ask um, because I know what a hard job that is but I also know that my job's hard, and that. But I, I really enjoy it. I, I get a lot out of, uh, out of helping people. You know, um, I, I grow and I develop as a result of, of working frontline, and, and I don't know that I would have the same experience with management. <laughs> so I admire people who do that. But I guess uh, I, I started looking for um, opportunities in Alberta, uh, investigating Alberta. Uh, why? Because I guess years ago I'd kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a vision that someday I would move out to Alberta. Yeah, I, I was. I, I'd kind of narrowed it down that Lethbridge was the place I wanted to be because we had these mild winters. And of course, we're looking outside now. It's December, and th- there's hardly any snow on the ground at all, and I like that because yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> I've I've shoveled my fair share of snow. Let me tell you. Um, so anyway, I knew, I knew Lethbridge was where I wanted to be. And then one day I found the job posting for the instructor in CYC at Lethbridge College. And when I pulled that off, I just, my soul just knew that this was the job for me. So much so that I printed off the uh, job description. I walked down the hall to my boss, who was fantastic. And uh, I said, uh, you need to start thinking about filling my position because I've found my next job. And <laughs> fortunately, he knew me as a man of faith and, and, and nobody really questioned. They, when Alan knows something, then he knows it. And, and I really felt my prayers had been answered. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's what led me here. And I, I, so my, my family had to wait behind uh, to, to wrap up some things. For about six months so i popped into this little camper van that i had and i had a cockatiel with me my little my little buddy with me and we drove out here and we stayed in the campground uh, for for quite a while uh, and then I, I started uh, training here and getting ready for the fall semester at lethbridge college i was so excited i thought i was going to be great at teaching i had led groups i'd done presentations it turns out that wasn't the best preparation for me <laughs> <laughs> I'll get into that maybe later. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, it started to get cold in that little camper van. And it was interesting. I met, uh, I met a woman who started at the college the same time I did to teach in the nursing program. And well, and other, other people as well. So one night I, I, was, I had a prayer and I, and I was saying to my father that, uh, you know, I... It's getting colder. Like I'm worried about myself. I'm really worried about my bird. It's a tropical bird. What should I do? And this woman's face sort of uh, appeared to me in my mind, and and I thought, well, that's that's strange, but okay. So the next day, I I found her, and I said, you know, and this is going to sound weird, but do you have a room that's available? And she just smiled. She said, you know what? I went home last night, and I told my husband that. You know, he needs to get ready because this man I met today is probably going to ask us to rent a room. 
so it was it was perfectly set up. Uh, I went there. They were wonderful people. Had three incredible daughters, and uh, they had just uh, done a bunch of work in their basement, and they they hadn't done the mudding and taping yet. And I had had experience with mudding and taping, so I said, "Well, you know what? I, I they didn't they weren't asking for rent money, but I said I would like to give back." So before I left there, I'd finished all the mudding and taping in the basement, and it was huge. <laughs> But it was a nice way for me to give back um, and let them know how much I, I appreciated them. Oh, wow. I, I love that story. That is just amazing and, and uh, quite, such an incredible story. Mm-hmm. Alan, you mentioned the importance of self-care. And I'm wondering if you want to talk about um, something that you have uh, been doing recently for self-care. Uh, yeah, sure. I, you know, I guess like everyone else going through this uh this COVID thing has been very difficult. In fact, I haven't spoken to anyone that hasn't had struggles with it. And and during this summer, I I experienced um, a sadness, uh, an isolation that I had never known. And even my wife said, I've never seen you like that before. And so uh, she knew I had been wanting to, no, wait for it, <laughs> that I'd been wanting to learn how to play the bagpipes. And she found uh, she found someone who was offering lessons on Zoom, and encouraged me to do it. And you know, and she was right. And so I I, I got my, my practice chanter, which is the pipe that you use to learn how to play bagpipes. And I started taking lessons uh, at the end of the summer, and it, it helped lift me out of the funk. You know, it gave me something to focus on. It gave me something that made me happy because unlike half the population out there, I actually like the sound of the bagpipes. <laughs> it, it fills my soul. You either love them or you hate them, and I, I love them. Um, it was something that I could, I could do in isolation, but uh, it also challenged me. Uh, it's been a long time since I learned an instrument, uh, you know, and, and, and struggling with learning how to play the bagpipes was, was something that taught me some empathy for my students not just the learning experience, but the learning over Zoom experience. Mm. So some of the frustrations that I had uh, and I'm having uh, learning things uh, over Zoom and other things, I'm able to apply that now to my students and the challenges that they're having. And and I'm getting feedback from them that they they do appreciate that. (laughs) Um, So, you know, having, having empathy for how difficult this situation is, how difficult it is to learn over Zoom, um, how important self-care is, and also, I, you know, I'm, I'm able to connect with other people. We you know we say when you say to someone, "I practice the bagpipes," a conversation is going to ensue, and and I miss being able to connect with people. You're absolutely right, right on all accounts. Um, it's so helpful to put yourself back in that position of learning something again, and and yeah, you're right. Learning is over Zoom. That's entirely different. Um, I have a memory. I, I will always have a memory of this pandemic related to bagpipes. This is my my bit of conversation about bagpipes because during the summer, my self-care was attending some aerobics class outside in one of the parks and it was loud music. They had a huge speaker and aerobics is very energetic, you know, bass kind of music. And oh, yeah. over in the corner and the parks were very busy 
because people are doing things outside. And so there were people playing basketball and tennis and our group doing aerobics. And then over in the corner of the park came out all the bagpipers <laughs> because they have to practice outside. And so over top of this booming aerobic music, you can hear the, the bagpipes <laughs> playing. And it was just such a, a funny scene with bagpipes and this crazy music. And yeah. Oh. <laughs> Loud, I'll bet. Very loud, yes. Of people living around nearby. Well, I guess they had a selection of music, whatever they like. Well, well, uh, once when I uh, when I was living in Sault Ste. Marie on Saturday mornings, especially if it was foggy, this bagpiper came out into the church parking lot across the road and would just start playing. Not not too early in the morning, but early enough, and it was just it was magical. It's like I had my own little concert there. I love that. But like I say, either you you love it or you hate it, and. And uh, my, my hope is that I will get to the point that in the spring or early summer, I'll be able to graduate and get my own set of bagpipes. And then that's a whole other level of difficulty I'll have to challenge myself with. So we will look forward to hearing you with the, <laughs> the full bagpipe apparatus. Okay, just remember, you said you would be looking forward to it. So just, just so I know, when I show up on the street playing it, you'll know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll be piping us back into the college. That would be nice. That would be great. Fingers crossed. Alan, you came to Lethbridge as a um, aspiring new teacher. And so how was that? <laughs> I, I was really excited and overwhelmed and wondered what I had got myself into. But, let, but then again, you know, I, I'd had an answer to my prayer. I knew this was where I was supposed to be. So no matter how difficult it was, I knew I'd get through it. Uh, and that, that was really important. I relied on that a lot. But uh, teaching, um, <laughs> I will say for you new instructors out there that I found the learning curve steep and long. I, uh, you know, I, I, I went to kind of any, any workshop or training that was available. I did the ICP uh, workshops. Uh, I, I tried to spend time with instructors that, that had had education experience or had been here at the college for a while and and I still do all those things in order to become a better instructor. Um, so not only do you, you need to become a good instructor but you have to find out who you are as an instructor because you know someone might do a lot of things for themselves in their classroom that work for them but they don't work for you. You have to find your own style and and, and also you have to warn your students about your style <laughs> because they come to you with certain expectations. Maybe it's, this is how I learned in high school. I expect you to do the same thing. You know, I often find students that they expect me to stand at the front of the room, read the PowerPoint, and they furiously copy down each PowerPoint slide. And that's learning. And that is not learning in my book. So uh, myself and, and the other instructors in the CYC program, we provide a lot of learning opportunities, learning experiences. So we're not just teaching theory, but we're helping them learn how to apply theory to practice right there, right in the classroom or, you know, during, during the term uh, outside of the classroom. I've, I've heard about uh, many of your experiences and, and your, really your talents that you have developed with teaching and your strategies. Um, can you talk about some of those, how um, the pandemic has uh, affected your teaching? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I tried most of the summer to get ready for this new way of teaching. 
Um, but I have to admit, I, I was pretty resistant, as, as I expect the students were as well. Uh, you know, teaching things like advanced counseling and communications online, where your ability to interact with people, to be able to read people, to connect with people is severely limited. I, honestly, I just, you know, when they asked me, can you teach us online? My initial answer was no. <laughs> well, turns out no is not an option. So I'll give you an example. Uh, so this year is my first year teaching the communications class. It had previously been taught forever by uh, Donna Kahlo, who is a fantastic instructor, just fantastic. Um, and she had designed a pretty good uh, base for this, this particular course. Now, this course also involved, within the first three weeks of the term, going, taking the students uh, out to a camp and spending three days with them in this experiential learning experience. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do that during COVID, but I didn't want to lose all the advantages that we gained from that. One of the big advantages we gained from that is that the students connected early on, you know, started to know each other, how to work with each other. We were able to work on some essential communication skills, conflict management skills, prioritizing, all those kinds of things. Um, and without camp, I was worried we were going to lose a lot of that. Um, and again, there's no, I don't think that there's a good replacement for camp, but I was able to uh, help, I guess, design these, uh, I call them lab at home. So I tried to give them similar experiences that they would seek out on their own, that they could do with other students. They would have to form their own groups. They'd have to get the courage to talk to somebody <laughs> and invite them to work with them. They could do these activities over Zoom, connect. Um, so for instance, one of them was... Uh, uh, going on this, uh, they had to find an online, oh, what do they call these? Escape room. Yeah, they had oh, to find yeah. an online escape room that they all wanted to do. So, of course, they have to research, they have to communicate, they have to agree. And then they pick one night, and I said, you know what, I'm not watching, so you can have a glass of wine. It's not, <laughs> nothing to do with me. And then they would uh, they get together, and, you know, they had so much fun. They got to know each other. They got to practice communication skills we were talking about in class. And then they got to reflect on those as well. So I tried to provide a number of experiences like that um, outside of the classroom. And then in the classroom, uh, some of the things that worked for me was uh, I really, I let them know right away, I need you on screen. When I need you on screen, especially when we're communicating in small groups, you have to be there. I said, it's just like, you know, you're responsible for filling up gas in your car to get to, to, get to the school when we're in class. I expect you to have, you know, your Wi-Fi ready, your laptop ready, your, your camera ready and, and be there. And, and for the most part, uh, you know, I, I, most people were fine. It was a bit of a challenge for others, but I, I just, I required it. I also let them know that if on a particular day, if they were having challenges, just, you know, ch just send me a chat message. Let me know. And if it happened over and over and over again, then we have a problem. But, you know things happen or I have my kids home today or whatever, I'd rather not turn my camera on. Okay, enough said. I understand that. But I also I also told them, you know, when there were times when I, it was just me really presenting and I didn't need to see their reaction, then I said, okay, now is a good time. You can turn your cameras off. So I gave them that time on and time off because I, I found uh, during the summer when I was volunteering with Red Cross online that it was hard to be on all the time. And so one of the things I learned was Turn your camera off. It just it just gives you a little bit more privacy, a little bit more self-control. So those are some things that, that work for me, helping people be independently accountable, giving them experiences outside of class, and then sort of managing Zoom as well as I could 
Uh, the other thing I did for Zoom is sometimes when you're working in Zoom, you can't see the participants because of what you're doing on your tiny little laptop. So I would ask one of the students to sort of be my, my co-moderator and they would monitor the chat. So if anything came up, they, they were the ones who would just interrupt me bluntly and let me know that something was there because, you know, new students might not be that comfortable because I, I pick one who, who maybe was a little more assertive and confident that way. Yeah. Those are some excellent strategies. I, I, I'm, you know, furiously taking notes because those, those are amazing strategies and so important on so many levels, important for that community building for students, important for, for their own mental health and, mm-hmm. and also important for their learning, you know, to achieve the course outcomes. That's really amazing. Um, talking a little bit more um, about mental health and, um, you know, you've talked a lot about engagement, but um, I want to go back to the the spirit of old Saint Nick. And <laughs> and I know you've talked about hope, and I think that, that Santa Claus kind of represents hope, and uh, that's part of your teaching, I believe. It, it, it really is, Donna. Um, I, 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 get, I try to give the students the visual image of Survivor Man, because I, I really like good Canadian Survivor Man. And, you know, when he's starting a fire, if he can get a little spark in, in a little tiny ember and just he just gently blows on it, adds just a little tiny bit of fuel, very slowly, very gently. And before you know it, he's got a nice fire and he's cooking himself a meal, a rabbit or whatever. You know, I, I think hope is like that. And, and you know, in, in child and youth care, we often see children and youth and families where uh, they've they've exhausted a lot of their supply of hope. And so I try to encourage my students to pay attention to that, that a big thing that we can do is help people reclaim their hope. And, and so we're there, their hope is their little ember, and we're going to help them just, just blow on it gently and be really delicate and careful with it and add a little fuel and support them so they can build that fire again. You can have all the skills in the world, you can have all the training in the world, but if you don't have hope, then nothing, nothing, nothing happens. So uh, we really need to tie that, that belief in everything that we do in, in child and youth care that we want, to help pe- we want to help give people hope. And so one of the corny things I do is <laughs> I, I use the image of uh, Superman or other, other heroes. And I kind of grew up on comic books. But, uh, you know, some of the lore of Superman, I'm going to get a little nerdy here for a minute. Uh, he wears this S on his chest. Well, the lore is that um, that is actually his family crest, the House of L, and it is a symbol, not a letter, but it's a symbol that stands for hope. And I, I, I asked my students, I challenged them, wouldn't it be great if when people looked at us, that's what they saw? They saw hope, that that's what we represented to them. And you know, child and youth care, really it's the only job that's got care written into it. We, we have to care. And if we do care, we're going to encourage hope. And once people have hope, they can accomplish all kinds of things without us. If we do our job right, we can work ourselves out of a job. <laughs> people, we help give people skills. We help give people supports, resources, and foster the, their growth of hope so that then they can, they can be strong and continue on. That seems like such a foundational aspect, both of, you know, of the career and, and um you know, your teaching and your message to them and so essential right now with, you know, what everyone is going through with the pandemic as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, uh, you know, I, 
as, you know, especially with some of the recent announcements that have been made about COVID, I just I just feel this overall sense of sadness in 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 the community and maybe even in the world that you know we're being we're being isolated, we're being cut off, and and that puts a lot of people in danger, uh, depression, anxiety, addictions, uh, all all kinds of things, and. You know, I, I worry about that. We need to worry about each other. Uh, the, the leader of, uh, of the Red Cross here in Alberta, she said something in a meeting the other day that I remembered that uh, she says, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. So we're all in different boats trying to weather this COVID storm. But we, we need to not be isolated. Really, uh, yeah, our strength comes from hope, but we can share that hope in our skills and our abilities with other people without breaking COVID rules. <laughs> but we need to find ways to support each other and give them hope and let them know this this isn't going to last forever. Um, and, and, and we recognize how important other people are in our lives. In fact, we probably have never been at a point where it is so glaringly obvious that we rely on other people and <laughs> that we need to connect with other people. One of the projects prior to the pandemic that you were involved in that that was about connecting people um, was the yellow bench. And so I want to maybe just go back and touch on that and then also bring it back and, and relate that to the current situation in the pandemic. But maybe do you want to just explain kind of what the yellow bench was about or what is about? Yeah. So uh, the Lucas Fiorella uh, friendship bench, it's uh, down in the, um, uh, down in the second Andrews wing <clears throat> And uh, it's a bright yellow bench. You can't miss it. Um, Fiorella uh, had a son who, uh, who died by suicide. And he, was, he and his family and others were shocked because, you know, this, this young man, was, was, he seemed to have it all together. And he was, he was friendly and, and talkative. And, and, you know, how many people come up and said that Lucas was uh, so instrumental in their life and that you know they had gone through something where they were depressed or they were suicidal and he'd been able to 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 help them and support them and get them to resources that they needed and so this this kind of grew out of that notion that if we had a place where we could just connect again there's that connection right if we had a place we could just connect then maybe we wouldn't get to that point where we've lost hope because again, that, that's, to me, that's why hope is so important. Because when that ember burns out, there, there's nothing worth living for. It is the hope that keeps us alive. And connection will help keep that, that hope going and, and fostering. So we need to look for ways to foster hope. Um, we need to look for ways to, uh, to be contagious with, with, our, with our good intentions, with happiness, with joy. You know, so many of us are affected, infected or affected by, by all this negativity that's going around, um, and not just COVID, but other things, and, and it gets us down. But you know what? Um, goodwill is contagious, right? Good feelings, joy. At Christmas time, what do we, what do we talk about? We talk about, uh, you know, sharing the joy with other people, um, you know, bringing the Christmas spirit. Well, why not do that all the time? If if good can be just as contagious as bad, then then let's do that. Let's try to let's try to infect each other with the with the goodness and 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 it doesn't take much. It doesn't take a lot. I was talking to a young woman uh, yesterday, who got this little text from her mother, and she must have cried for half an hour. It was it was just it was so honest and genuine and beautiful. 
And, and that was just a text, but that was, that was more than enough for her. So there's a little example for you. I really love the idea of the yellow bench, the concept of the connection. Um, wouldn't it be amazing it, during this pandemic if there was some way to have a, a virtual yellow bench for people to connect? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I was, uh, when I, when I was uh, helping to lead some of the mental health initiatives around uh, the college a little while ago, uh, that was an idea that kept popping up all over the college that, about this an idea of a bench or a social place where we c- could connect. And again, I think the college did a great, a great thing where they created all these little meeting nooks all over the college. So it wasn't just one spot, but they were encouraging it as a whole environment. And, you know, I think that's, that's what we need to do. And now that we're disconnected uh, via you know, COVID, <laughs> thank you. Um, and, you know, that, that, uh, that need for connection is so important. But where, where do we do that? And, and so maybe, yeah, maybe something virtual where we could, we can join in and, and meet somebody and connect. Maybe we do something with them, have a, have a on virtual games night. You know, the LCSA is always good at, at stuff like that. Um, uh, I know that uh, people in uh, CTLI and, and other departments, uh, you know, they talked about the, a, a kind of a bench before we got the yellow bench. Uh, but now we, we really we really need something to, to pull us together uh, since we can't meet on campus. Yeah, because those were physical spaces that uh, promoted that connection. And so we need to figure out a way to develop virtual spaces to promote that same kind of connection. Yeah, whether it's a watch party or some kind of a theme to something. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I think we're getting more the students anyway, and, and maybe some of the faculty are getting more comfortable with using Zoom and some of these more uh, these other online platforms. So it, it becomes a possibility that people might actually want to do something like that. You know, once you get past the initial the awkwardness of meeting somebody new, which happens in a face to face situation too, then you start to enjoy connecting and having fun. You know, playing a game or watching a movie together or whatever the case is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I understand that you have uh, recently received an award, uh, the Center Values Award from the Center for Justice and Human Services. And um, I know that this, uh, this award was given um, kind of through a vote of your peers, the other instructors and, and your colleagues. Um, can you talk a little bit about that award? Um, I apparently I was nominated and uh, and and uh, and voted uh, to receive this uh, this Center Values Award. Um, they in in uh, giving me the award, they spoke about uh, how I, I I can be a little quiet. I I've said this. I prefer to work kind of behind the scenes and be supportive, but uh, I I'm, I I guess. I'd rather speak with my actions than my words so much. So, you know, getting involved with the Yellow Bench was a great opportunity. Uh, I have uh, facilitated, along with some of my other colleagues here in the college, the uh, mental health first aid. Um, I've been involved with um, the faculty association, doing lots of different roles there uh, over the years. And um, uh, also helped uh, lead a congregation at uh, Edith Cavell. We haven't been able to do that since COVID, so that's a little frustrating. And you mentioned early on that I resembled Santa a little bit. <laughs> well, when my grandson was born uh, a couple of years ago, 
I realized that uh, you know taking a baby to the mall to get a picture with Santa is really just inviting a chaos. So uh, I went ahead and got a Santa suit, grew out my beard, and then I went over to their house and got pictures of myself with my grandson and 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 put all those pictures together and gave them as a collage to my wife for Christmas. So she hung it on her wall. She was pretty excited. But after that, I thought, you know, I kind of fit this suit. Now, don't say anything about me being <laughs> overweight, but, you know, it, it kind of looked good on me. And so uh, I had other opportunities within the college and out in the community. I did, I, I, I knew a principal, so I ended up showing up at their, at their Christmas uh, uh Christmas party or whatever, uh, and meeting all the students and giving them uh, candy canes. And, you know, I get this little kid like, are you, are you really Santa Claus? I said, well, are you really you? Yeah, well, I'm really me. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the cutest, it was this little girl. Oh, she was so tiny. And suddenly I just, I just felt something around my leg and, and I was getting this hug. She was, her arms were only big enough to hug my, the lower part of my leg. She was so tiny, but she just, she loved, oh, I, she met Santa and she was so happy and there were tears in her eyes. She was hugging Santa. And of course, you know, you're wearing that red velour suit and nothing softer than that, right? You're going to give Santa a hug. You're going to, you're going to feel cozy. <laughs> so my wife joined me and we, uh, I, I, she thought I was a little nuts at first, but um, we got her, well, I got her a Mrs. Claus costume <laughs> the following year. And so she has joined me on a couple of my little escapades of Santa Claus. And she's Mrs. Claus. And, and, and we, we, look, we look pretty cute together, I got to say. I can imagine. That sounds like so much fun. I am waiting for a Santa Claus suit. I'm desperately, uh, I've got one coming in the mail. And oh. I go to the mail every day and check it because it's a... I, I run and it's a fundraiser for a run. And so you wear your Santa Claus suit and you do this virtual run, of course, because mm -hmm. of COVID. So it's not a bunch of people together. And, and I'm so anxious to get my suit so I can go running through the neighborhood. That, that's <laughs> as close as I can come as to Santa. I'm not, uh, uh, don't quite, I'm not quite able to channel Santa in the same way that you are. But, but see, there's, there's that, there's that sharing joy and, and being contagious with your joy and, and how you how you have fun dressing up and running and other people are going to look out their window. Well, would you look at that, right? <laughs> they get they get a little kick out of it. You know, even, when I dress up as Santa, even the adults want to talk to you. Oh, when I when I uh, did it at a function here at the college, um, a lot of the international students they were just amazed to see Santa Claus. Oh, I got to get a picture with this guy. I'll never see this guy again. So you know that was a lot of fun. But you know. All of these things, all this, all this volunteering, like I say, it kind of stems back to the example I saw from my dad. Um, I've, I've realized how important it is uh, to be involved. And then when I stand in front of my class and I'm encouraging them to do things like have hope and, you know, be a superhero for people and, you know, uh, really care about people, I can do that from a place of genuineness because I know that that's, that's the life I'm trying to live. Now, nobody's perfect and... <laughs> All, all I ask is that people try and do what you can. And it comes to volunteering, if all you can give is an hour a month, and maybe that's in 10-minute increments, well, then do that. Do, do whatever kind of works for you. Everybody's got a, a different uh, list of demands, but it will help you feel better about yourself. It will help build community. Um, it's great self-care. And, of course, it, it helps you overcome that, that terrible sense of isolation that, that we feel on a day-to-day -day basis, especially with this COVID thing. That's some really fantastic advice, Alan. It's been amazing talking to you and um, just such a pleasure. And 
Um, you have so many fantastic messages for all of us and for your students. Thank you so much for um, being part of our podcast today. Well, thank you, Donna. And I'd like to say happy holidays to you and happy holidays to everyone else. However you celebrate, whatever you celebrate, at least you, hopefully you get a couple of days off and you just, just bury yourself under your covers if that's what you know knocks your socks off. Um, but uh, please enjoy this time and, and, and I encourage everyone to take care of yourselves, take care of other people, look around at the boats around you and, and see what you might be able to offer. Thank you. Thanks, Ellen. For more information on this episode's guest or on CTLI, see the episode notes or visit learninginnovation.ca. Thank you to CTLI for sponsoring this podcast and thanks to Ryan Robinson, Mike Smith, Jude Bielik, Joel Godfrey, and all of the others who have contributed to making this possible. Most of all, thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon on Learning Innovation, the Teaching and Learning Podcast.